You know, I changed the name of this message. I think sometime last night, actually it was dark. It was the wee hours of the morning or so, praying and so forth. And I had, you know, really just one title before this. And I changed it to Get Excited. Jesus is coming. And I challenged my, myself at times, you know, just being honest with you. I have to challenge myself. Like, man, there was such an excitement about Jesus' coming, his second coming, after people got saved in the early church. And of course, Jesus had to give warnings about being attentive to the fact that he was coming back and to give, attentive, uh, give attention to the fact that he's coming back and being prepared and being watchful and to be excited about it. And sometimes I have to guard my own heart and say, Lord, I get so busy trying to do your will and, and, and being in this world that I don't want to lose focus on how exciting it is, the fact that Jesus Christ is coming. And I really asked the Lord because I, I love his coming. We named the church when the fellowship just started, Blessed Hope Chapel. Why? You know? Mike and Lisa, good to see you guys. They're back and forth from Idaho and us, Idaho and us. Remember we had a little vote what the church name would be? And uh, we ditched one name and went up with Blessed Hope, and I think everybody was happy with that. Because that's the return of our Lord, amen? amen. And uh, we got, we're all, everybody's excited about that name. It's like, wow, it's right out of the Bible. Because it speaks of is the Blessed Hope. That's our hope. We have no hope outside of Jesus, amen? amen. I mean, we're, we're, the, the suicide rate is through the roof right now, higher than it's ever been in this country for this many years in a row. I mean, I'd like to check out the stats in regard to, at least with certain ages, you know? And it, it, because people are hopeless, People are filled with hopelessness and despair. But the awesome news is the good news. We have the good news. The Greek word is euangelion that we translate good news. And then we retranslate into gospel. I like the word gospel, but a lot of times people say, oh, that's gospel music. Really, it's good news music. There's bad news all over the place today, amen? Every time you turn on the news. But we have the good news, and we're supposed to be sharing it. And the good news is that Jesus came to save us, amen? But the good news is more than that. The good news is also that he's also coming back. There's more to the picture than being saved, as awesome as that is. We rejoice because our names are written in heaven, amen? We ought to be doing that. But we can get fixated on what's going on in this world so much that we lose the blessed hope in our hearts. And I was just doing some soul searching, seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, here I am teaching about your coming, which I love, and I love that subject. I mean, we have a lot of messages on the second coming of Christ, amen? You know, the timing of the rapture, all those things, you know? And we've majored in that because the scriptures major in that. There's, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been estimated that there's over 300 references to the second coming of Christ in the New Testament alone. And one scholar said, says there's over 1,000 in the Old Testament. Now of the coming of Messiah, but it speaks of both comings. And we should be excited about it. And in my own soul search, I was like, Lord, help me to be more excited about it. Because I don't want to preach on this halfway. I'm excited about the coming, but there was such an excitement that they had. I want that excitement to grow. And you know what? The Lord answered that prayer for me uh, because I was already excited about his coming, but there was one thing he fixed in my mind, which was really profound. I was like, wow, I really believe he spoke to my heart about this and how, because what happens is we think about he could come in our lifetime, amen? But if he doesn't come in our lifetimes, we think what? Well, then we die and we go be with the Lord. So that, that all that hope we had in his coming really wasn't fulfilled because now we're with the Lord already. We just met him through death. 
and we lose the, we don't have that hope. So it's like, I, I might die before he comes because we see certain signs and crazy things going on in the world. But what if it doesn't happen in my lifetime and I've been all excited about it, but then I die and I go be with the Lord and then it's not, I'm not like looking forward to his coming like I would have been. The Lord showed me that is so wrongheaded. Because guess what? After you die, you have even greater hope in the blessed hope. We're still looking forward to a second coming. That's what blows me away. Think about it. Think about that. Do you think in heaven they're like, okay, well, we missed the second coming because it hasn't happened yet, and now we're in heaven? No. In fact, they are more acutely uh, aware of the, the need for the second coming to take place, the blessed hope to take place, than many, most, anybody on the planet, most people. Why? Because in heaven, during the tribulation period, in heaven, the souls that are under the altar, and it says souls, they're not yet clothed with resurrected bodies, they'll cry out to God as the world is mocking God and the Antichrist is reigning and killing Christians. They'll say, how long, O God, until you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How much longer are you gonna wait, Lord? The people that, that shed our blood, they're waiting, they're longing for Christ's return. They see that the world is unrepentant at that time. It says the world refuses to repent. So like it's time, the Lord gives them white robes. It says, wait a little while. The Lord's really patient. Until your brethren are killed in the same way that you were killed. Wait. So there's a waiting and expectation for Christ's coming, even in the heavenlies. Are you with me? You don't lose the blessed hope when you get to heaven. In fact, you become more acutely aware of the need for the world to have it. And one of the first studies I did as a young Christian, I was a new Christian, and I was studying the scripture, and I started looking for what the Bible said about heaven. And over and over again, I started seeing, wow, I'm looking at heaven, and we've had some really fun studies in Revelation 21 and 22 about heaven, you know? And it uh, makes me think of a brother, a young brother, a new brother, Kenny Williams, uh, and John Williams' little brother, Danny. And Danny, if you're listening to this right now, or his lovely wife, we, we're praying for you. We love you. Uh, he has cancer, and it's just all over his body. He doesn't have a whole lot of time to live, but guess what? John shared this, Jesus with him. He came to Jesus a few weeks back, maybe a couple months ago now. Kenny was able to come and share with him, encourage him, and Peggy, and so forth. And his wife said that she's listening to the messages and has him listening to them too, although he's sleeping a lot because this, you pray for him. Man, he, he's, and when Lisa and I went visit him, he got sat, I thought he might just sleep through the whole thing because I heard he's going through some rough times. He woke up, he sat up on the side of his bed and he listened to us talk and we encouraged him and we had a blessed talk about Jesus and how we have the hope of him, amen, and be with him forever. And it was great. But I was so happy because she said she had been listening, they are listening to a few messages a day and, it, and she says, and if he's not, I am. And I'm like, praise God because the last two chapters have been on heaven, Amen. Revelation 21 and 22. I hope, I hope that you guys are listening to those messages. Anyway, when I was looking at heaven, one of the things I was blown away by that just blew me away was how often heaven is looking at us. I'm like, wow, so many of these things I'm reading about heaven, are, is, is heaven's actually looking at us too? Like the souls under the altar. How long, O oh God, until you avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? Or like Jesus said, you know, when one sinner comes to repentance, the angels in heaven, what do they do? They rejoice. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. So keep in mind, when you're in heaven, you won't lose the blessed hope. You'll be looking forward to it. 
Because when Christ comes, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of Christ. And we're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Amen? Amen. And we're all, we all continue to pray that. Also, guess what? When you're in heaven, the souls aren't clothed yet. They're given white robes told to wait a little while. What are they still waiting for? They're waiting for the second coming because that's when it says the dead in Christ will rise first. That's them. And then we who are alive and remain until that day, then we'll be caught up together with them and meet them in the clouds of heaven. Amen. We'll have this family reunion. But they're going before us. They're excited. They're like, man, we're going to beat you guys in the resurrection even. They're excited about Jesus coming. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. So I think it's just amazing. And I think we need to get more and more excited about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And you were never going to lose that blessed hope. Man, we're part of the Lord's army. We talk about fight the good fight. It's the name of our ministry. You know, good fight ministries. Lay hold on a, an eternal life. Guess what? At the second coming, man, you're going to be part of the Lord's army. Amen? He's coming back with an army from heaven. Amen? That doesn't change if you die here. That's always going to be our hope. Amen? Amen. And so I wanted you to get excited about that fact. That's coming in the future. Now, chapter 22, verse 7 we looked at verses 8 and 9. I skipped ahead and went through those two verses. And we talked about John bowing down before that angel and idolatry. And how we have to be careful because idolatry is the biggest sin mentioned throughout Scripture. And it's so easy for us, even as Christians, because John bowed down before this angel twice. Once in 19, once in chapter 19, once here. Twice he was rebuked for it and told to worship God. And I said, we have to watch out because our hearts are prone to idolatry. So I have to be very, very careful. And we talked about, I, I gave some modern day examples of idolatry that's taking place in Hollywood and so forth. And, and they're after our hearts. But I said, I want to look at verse seven and kind of flow from verse seven and cover verse eight and nine first and flow from seven to verse 10. Because verses eight and nine are parenthetical. And now I'm going to look at verse seven, the first part of verse seven. And next week, we'll look at the end of verse 7, and then we'll look at verse uh, 10 along with it. Now, the first part of verse 7, I'm excited. I'm so excited. Can you tell I'm excited today? I hope you get more and more excited, and I hope you're excited. But verse 7, and behold, I am what? Coming quickly. Blessed is he who, who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. By the way, this church is addressed to non-believing Jews or to the church? church? The church. And it's the church that is supposed to pay heed to this book and what it says. Amen? Amen. It's not written for someone else and we're going to be out of here earlier in, in a second coming and then a third coming. The Bible doesn't teach the second and third coming of Jesus. The historical church always taught the second coming of Christ. It only was divided into two different comings separated by seven years in the 1800s. 1800 years after Jesus taught about it. And but notice verse, chapter 7, the first part of the verse. And I don't want to deal with timing so much today. Timing might come up for a minute, but I want to just deal about being excited about its coming. Verse 7, and behold, I am coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. Now guess what? Some would say, how is he coming quickly? He hasn't, it's been 2,000 years. That's not coming quickly. That's, that's 2,000 years. How is that quickly? And a lot of people try to get around that by saying, and they mean well. They're well-intentioned scholars and 
Bible commentators that say, well, this isn't speaking of quickly, meaning it will happen pretty soon, meaning real soon. It means quickly, meaning when he comes, boom, it'll happen fast. It'll be quick when he comes. Now that's innovative. That's interesting. That's not what it's saying. There's a better explanation for that, than, for this text, than that. But you can see why people want that. Well, well why, how come it says, you know, he's coming quickly, you know? Well, that's right. Jimmy's on to it already. But guess what? That would be Jim Sanford. I know we have different Jimmys here. Uh, but he's coming quickly. I don't I think it's saying that he's, the nature of his coming is going to be really fast when he comes. He's going to come to he- from earth to, to heaven, yeah, from heaven to earth really quick. How do I know that? Well, just go down and look at verse 10. So you're already tying the verses together. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is what? The time is near. Checkmate. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, I'm saying we got, that's what the text says. He's coming quickly. Well, then it's wrong. No, it's absolutely not wrong. How's it not wrong? We're wrong in our understanding. Okay. And that's what I love about Bible difficulties. I found as a young Christian, and I've grown in my conviction ever since that time, that Bible difficulties, the ones that are hard, are sometimes the most revelatory passages in all of Scripture to really speak to our hearts about important issues. I shared with you a long time ago, Abraham being called to take up Isaac up the mountain, you know, to sacrifice him, even though God was against human sacrifice, and then God said, don't do it, even though God hadn't stated not to human sacrifice yet, you know, but he belonged to him, and then God stops him. And I was like, Lord, why did you do that? I know you're testing him, but wow. And then I later find that that sound mountain was the mountaintop that Jesus was crucified on, the Lamb of God, amen, that God had to give up his son. And he didn't stop it. He went through with it. Jesus Christ died in our place. Instead of carrying wood for sacrifice up that mountain like Isaac did, he carried what? The cross up there. It's the same mountaintop that Jesus was crucified. Mount Moriah is Mount Calvary. And then I'm like, a few years later, I'm like, oh, Lord God. I never doubted you. I knew you had reasons. I stick it on a hook if I don't understand something. I just wait and then boom. Sometimes you have to wait to glory to understand certain things. Not in this case. Well, right here, what about quickly? And that, that word quickly, hopefully you'll really appreciate it in this message and get more excited about Christ coming. You see, it's important. Uh, you know, if you ask a child, you know, it's it, how time, sometimes things are so relative to our own experience, right? When you are going through school year as a kid, if you were like me when you were a young kid and you didn't see what the importance of studying was, you just wanted to go play with your friends, I'd watch the clock. An hour seemed like an eternity in certain classes. It's like, I won't even mention the names of teachers in case they're still alive, but if they're still alive, wow. <laughs> Because that would put them, see, I'm 32 right now. So how old would they be? No, no. I'm almost 60. I'll be 60 next year. But wow. But you know what? And then summer. Oh, summer's here. Then summer just goes so quick, right? And then when parents, you're getting ready for Christmas, and you have five days left, it's like, goes so fast. The kids, it's like every day, when's Christmas going to finally come? It's taking forever. Remember that? How many did that? You know? So it's interesting we, we, we experience time in different ways. It's a really fascinating topic. What's well, really interesting when you think about it regarding our lifespans. Our lifespans are a long time. The Bible says 60 
to 70 years. And it says for some 80 in those days, right? Sounds pretty similar today almost. There's outliers, of course. People that die younger and people live older back then and today as well. But it's really interesting the way God, because this is written from God's vantage point, trying to get us to get his eternal perspective. Amen? And look at what he says about our lifespans. Look at what he says about them. He says that they go out by, we would say, you ask a little kid, and they can't wait till they turn seven years old. It's taking forever. And they're going to tell them they're going to live 70, 80 years maybe. What? That sounds like so long. But from God's perspective, it's really quick. Because eternity is forever. Forever and ever and ever. And listen to what we read in some of those scriptures. In James chapter 4, verse 14. Remember this verse? Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. It says, don't just say, hey, I'm going to move over here and carry on business over here. Don't just do that. He says, you better pray. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? He says, for you are a mist that what? Appears for a little time and then vanishes. It compares our bodies, our lifespans on this earth to a mist that appears for just a little bit of time and then is gone. It gets heavier than that. I love this one. Psalm 102 verse 3. For my days pass away like smoke. You see some smoke in the air over there? It's gone. And our Bibles are compared to pass away like smoke. Psalm one, that's Psalm 102 verse 3. Psalm 144 verse 4 says this. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. You ever, this time of year, California, you don't get to do this a lot, so try to get excited about the changing from fall to winter. You go outside, you go, it's kind of, some of us freak out if you're from, you know, these other states out there, and you got a lot of cold weather. We're like, whoa, what was that? Oh, it's called a vapor. Oh, wow, okay. You know, well, it's not that bad. But when you see a vapor, man, it appears, and then it just goes away. It's like, wow, that's what it says our lives are like. It's like a puff of smoke. It's like a vapor. It's like a passing shadow. See a big truck go by and you're driving on the, on, the, on the streets and the truck goes by and there's a shadow there and then it goes by. It's like a passing shadow. Listen to Psalm 39, verses, verse 5, 4 and 5 and 12. Lord, make me know my end. This psalmist here prays, and I think this is important, by way of application. We need to make sure that we, do, that we say this prayer to really get the insights the Lord wants us to have about our lives. Oh, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. He wants the Lord to show him that our lives are quick. Oh, wait a minute. I don't want to. Why would I want that? I want to think my life's going to be here forever. No, you don't. Do you want to really? This is a hellhole compared to heaven. Amen? Amen. He says, you know, but the measure of my days, let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have, because, you know, forever young, that whole lie in Hollywood and that lie that, hey, we're just going to all, we're here forever. That's a lie. A lot of people don't think about their death. In the book of Ecclesiastes, remember I did a whole study on it. It's better to think about your funeral than, it better be at a funeral, right? And consider the end of your days and that you're going to face God. The Bible says in Amos, prepare to meet your God. That's better than going to a party. Why? Because it says at a funeral, someone takes stock of their lives and realizes that they're not going to be here forever. That's where people get right with God at funerals. I preach the gospel. I try to preach the gospel every wedding, every funeral. I get so bothered if I don't hear the gospel preached at a wedding or a funeral, you know, and I can get, I'm like, Lord, make sure I preach the gospel. There's all these non-believers here. Behold, so he says, Lord, make me know the end 
in what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. Wow. What's a handbreadth? With your hand. It says, you made my, hand, my, my days a few of these. Maybe three or four, right? That's a short lifespan, amen. If I had a rope here and it went from eternity one way east and eternity west and I just put a couple handbreadths up for you or three, that's nothing. Make me know that, Lord. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. There it is again. For I am a sojourner, just a pilgrim, just a visitor with you, a guest. He says, I'm a guest here. How come we don't remember that as believers? We think this is our home. No, we're ambassadors visiting here testifying about Jesus. Amen? Amen. For I have a sojourner, a pilgrim, a, a visitor with you, a guest like all my fathers, and his fathers are in their graves now. The cemetery or, you know, in the, in the caves where they bury them so often. Why does he want us to pray this way? Why does he want us to keep this in mind? Why does he want us to take stock of how we're only here for a short time? Listen to Psalm chapter 90. gives us the answer. Verses 10 through 12. The years of our life are 70, or even uh, by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. It's a struggle down here, amen? How many of you can relate to that? I can say amen to that, okay? Then he goes on to say, they are soon gone. They are soon gone and fly away. Now, some would say, what do you mean life lasts a last long time? We live longer than almost every other creature. Some sea turtles may be longer, some other creatures, but that's quick in the Lord's eyes compared to eternity. That's the point. Who would disagree with the Lord? That's not soon. It's a long time I live here. Not from the Lord's perspective. Same with how long it's been since Christ came the first time and the second coming. Listen to what he says. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Now he tells us, listen carefully, how you are to apply this to your life. Well, this is what he does. He doesn't tell you how to apply it. This shows you what he does, but it's a good example of how to apply it. Listen to what he says. And based on what he said, our lives being 70, we have strength 80, you know, but they're mere hand's breadth, you know, a hand's breadth and a, or hand's breadth and a literal breath, like a literal breath. So listen to what he says in verse 12, guys. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Did I hear some amens to that? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What's he saying? Help us to number our days the the way the Lord is showing him that our days go really quick so that we might have a heart of wisdom. How do we apply this to our lives? We simply pray, Lord... Help me to have your perspective. Help me to have the psalmist perspective. Help me to have the perspective that I'm here for a very, very short time so I can have a heart of wisdom. What does it mean a heart of wisdom? Spiritual wisdom. Wisdom about how to live your life in light of the fact that we're only living for a very short time so that we make our lives count, amen? Amen. Paul said in Ephesians chapter five, redeem the time for the days are evil, amen? And I don't want to be at the end of my life saying I should have done so much more for Jesus. Amen? I want to say, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to be the guy who got the talent or talents and bury them that Jesus warned about and didn't do anything for his glory. Amen? Because that man is taken hand and foot, thrown into outer darkness. I'm talking about the guy that does nothing after he's graced with that. 
If you're seeking the Lord and you're doing something for Jesus, that's evidence that you're saved. If you're truly doing things from the heart for Jesus, praise God. But don't sit around and do nothing. And Lord, give us the mind of Christ. Lord, give us a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so we have a heart of wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. So it's not just knowing the truth, but it's like, how do I apply this truth to my life now? And it means that we need to make sure our lives count. And as we get through, go through the study more, we're going to see different ways we're told what that looks like. Amen? So the, 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 there, there's some uh, points I wanted to get across in this message. Get excited. And subtitles are get holy or get wise. I'm not getting wise right now. Recognize we're not here very long. Get holy, amen, and get busy. Okay, I wrote four, four things down. Okay. Get excited, amen. What's that, bro? Get homesick. Get homesick, amen. Be homesick, amen. So we need to get wise and recognize we're not here very long. Wait a minute, Joe. What if the Lord comes back before the Super Bowl and my team's in it? <laughs> You need to get more excited about Jesus coming than the Super Bowl. Amen? Now, I see a lot of ladies laughing and some clapping, so what do I do with the ladies here? Okay. Now, go, well, what's the Lord's perspective? The Lord's perspective on his return and the length of time it's taken hasn't been that it's taken a long time. From the Lord's perspective, you know how long it's been? Who said two days? Raise your hands. Oh, you guys are already getting it, man. Two days. It's been just two days. He's coming quickly, man. Who's, who's looked at my notes? Praise God. Go to 2 Peter. I'm glad you guys know that. 2 Peter chapter 3. And there's a lot more about that than just two days, but I love this, man. And I've taught on this a few times, quite a few, this concept before, but I love 2 Peter. It's one of my favorite books, one of the most neglected books in Scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he talks about spiritual growth in light of false teaching. In 2 2, he warns all about the false prophets. In chapter 3, he warns about these false teachers as well as mockers that will come in the last days. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, let's pick it up there. Know this first of all. In the last days, he says, what will happen? In the last days, he says, yep, will come. Uh, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lust. Why are they mocking? Because you're following the Lord. You're seeking to do what's right. You're seeking to live a holy life. Amen. But they have these unlawful, these godless lusts that they're living by and they get convicted and they don't want to repent and they know they should be repenting, but deep down they know it. But guess what? It's easier to mock you and scoff and so forth. And they'll be mockers walking after their own lust. Verse four, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for what? Fire. Fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of un ungodly men. So it's important to keep in mind that the Lord is going to judge the earth. And there are those, even the saints in heaven will say, how long, O God, until you avenge our blood of those in heaven? They're waiting. The psalmist, you have different times in scripture where you see the prophets rise up in prayer to God. God, how come you're waiting so long? Now the world, it says, is blind. They're saying, hey, everything's the beginning as it was since the beginning of creation. You know, 
And what's crazy is, he says, they're ignorant of something. One translation, I think the King James says they're willfully ignorant. I think another translation says they deliberately forget. Here it escapes their notice. They don't really want to pay attention to this reality, but God already, not everything just continues the same. One time in the past, he says, God flooded the entire earth. Amen? Amen. You can go to the highest mountains and find seashells on them. It's amazing. He flooded the planet. And it's amazing. And, and that escapes their notice that he's judged the world before. By the way, the world used to know that. Do you know, you can look at, study ancient history, and you'll say that you can see the Chinese, the Mesopotamians, the, uh, the Jews, oh, throughout the world, it, American Indians, some of them, understood that there was a worldwide flood. But now we want to ignore that, that God judges the wicked. So what happens is they want to believe the lie of uniformitarianism. That idea of uniformitarianism, that everything's just uniform, just stays the same forever. Scientists wanted us to believe that. They called it the steady state theory with regard to the cosmos. It's always been here. It'll never go away. Now they realize and they admit they had a beginning and it's going to have an ending. It's, energy's running down. But the Bible doesn't teach uniformitarianism on, on a cosmic level. It teaches catastrophism. Catastrophism, that is that God intervenes in history. And he does in various ways at various times, but he does significantly, for instance, in the act of the flood where humanity was drowned. It's really, really powerful when you think about it. Uh, now, God not only created the universe, but he flooded it, flooded the earth, and people were destroyed. But now he says it's being reserved for what? Fire. Fire. Not a flood. I promise, I'm not going to flood the earth again. Next time it's by fire. Yeah, there will be a next time. And that's coming. Now the question is, okay, Lord, and they're seeing the wickedness around them in those days. They're saying, how come, you know, and then, then he prophesies, Peter prophesies, that people will say there'll be mockers in the last days. So it wasn't like a lot of people were saying that in his day, in the first century, but it would happen. Because the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, was saying it's not going to take place as fast as they want it to take place. In other words, a lot of believers will want it to take place. Lord, it's ugly right now. It's sad. Can you imagine during Nazi Germany? He'd want Jesus to come back. But he's patient. There's a reason why he's waiting. Verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. For do not let this one fact escape your notice. Brothers and sisters, he doesn't want this to escape your notice. This one fact, man. It's a very, very important fact. Application, don't let this escape my notice. Write this in my heart. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is like what? A thousand years. A thousand years. One day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like what? It's like one day. So it's been 2,000 years since the Lord's return. To the Lord, how long is that? Just, to him, it's like a couple days. He's not affected by time. Okay? Compared to eternity, it's nothing. Because he's forever existed. And it's not too much time to meet his objective. Because his objective is in verse 9. Why is he delaying? Why is he waiting? The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to what? Come to repentance. Is there anybody, what's he waiting for? He wants more people to repent. Notice it says, and I love this, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. 
Notice, he counts differently than we count. Are you with me? So when he says quickly, it means quickly from his perspective. And we wanna understand it better, we have to get his perspective, not some mocker's perspective. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Because why? Is he waiting? Because he's not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Am I the only one here? I I know I'm not. That I'm so, I'm very, very glad Jesus didn't come back the day before I got saved. Anybody else happy about that too? Amen. Amen. How many have family members you still like to be saved? Friends that you still like to see saved? Amen. You know, neighbors. Amen. So he waits because he's compassionate. If he's going to have his son be crucified for the sins of the world and go through all of that, why would he not wait till more people got saved until time ran out and the the world shows it's going to refuse to repent, which is exactly what happens in the book of Revelation. It says they don't repent to give God glory at the end. But he brings many in prior to that time, and he's doing it right now as he brings the harvest in. And Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom is to be preached in all the world. Amen? So here we are going about our Father's business. Now, how does that apply? How does he apply this to our lives? Go ahead and look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away. And by the way, that will be pretty quick too, right? He will come in the nature, uh, uh, in nature it'll be quick as well. But the context in 22 is nearness. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. You know, in the past, people wondered how that could happen. And I've gotten into the scientific reasons that they know now that there could be a cosmic meltdown of the elements. Even the atoms could, we know atoms can, fission and so forth can explode. Okay, it's it's crazy. And there's gonna be this cosmic meltdown. But look at how we're to apply this reality. The fact that Jesus Christ is coming back, the fact that everything's gonna be melted, the fact that everything's going to burn with fire, what should we do? Look at verse 11. Here's how you apply this to your life. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, since that's going to take place, you guys, what sort of people ought you to be? That's you. What sort of people ought you and me, that's us, to be? In what? In holy conduct and godliness. That means, in fact, because he's going to come and everything's going to burn, we should be having holy conduct. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be separate from that which is evil. Separate from that which contaminates, separate from that which is contrary to God, which is wicked, and consecrated, dedicated to God. And godliness means to become like him, more like the Lord. Amen? Godliness. Verse 12, he gives us more application. Looking. This is pretty easy to apply to your life. Looking, that means you're watching for the signs of the times that herald is coming. And you recognize, you have your eyes on what's going on from a biblical perspective that you look at history from the context and lenses of scripture. Looking for and hastening, what does it mean to hasten something? It means to speed it up, amen? And that Greek word, I've looked up that Greek word in the past, it means to speed up. And hastening, hastening, the what? The coming of the day of God. How do we, how can we hasten the coming of the day of God? It's not like we can get behind Jesus and push him off his throne and say, go. How can we do that, Joe? You play a really powerful role in this. That's why when you're excited about his coming, you get busy. You get wise. You get holy. Amen. You get excited, right? But you get busy. How do you get busy? Hasten the coming of the day of God. 
How do you hasten the coming of the day of God? Spread the word of God. Amen. Preach the gospel. Well, where does it say that? Jesus said that. Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then what will happen? Then the end will come. Do you catch that? That means if we get busy sharing the good news, sharing the gospel, the more we share the gospel, the closer we get to the end because Paul said in Romans chapter 11, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, catch that, listen to that. Paul said, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, the last Gentile gets saved, then the deliverer will come out of Zion. Amen? Amen. That's, that's a blow mind. So that shows you that we have a part in his return. He and his sovereignty and his graciousness allows us to participate in bringing the king by spreading the good news of the gospel. Are you with me? This is very, very powerful. Okay? Uh, so we're hastening, speed up, the coming of the day of God. How have you been doing lately in getting excited about Jesus coming? Hopefully that's today's message is helping. About making sure you're pursuing holiness. About making sure that you're busy for him. Sharing the good news. Shining the light. Amen? Then it says, it goes on to say, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Wow. But according to verse 13, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth. By the way, guess what? That's why another reason you go to heaven, you don't stop having the blessed hope because you're still looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. Amen. Amen. You're not, you don't stop listening to the, looking for the blessed hope because you're just a soul there. God created you body, soul, and spirit. You're waiting for your resurrected body, amen? And when Jesus Christ comes, the dead in Christ rise first. We're looking forward to that day, amen? So blessed hope is always the blessed hope until it comes. Well, then I won't have a hope anymore. You don't need a hope anymore. You have Jesus for eternity. And he's, he's your continual hope forever, though. Faith, hope, and love, these three abide forever. The greatest of these is love. Because every, every, it's not every day because it's just one long day, right? We just, but we're always looking at Jesus and say, you are my hope, man. But you're also the fulfillment of my hope because he's your all in all, Amen. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. How many are you looking for that, man? How many love to see that there's no crime anymore? Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that where, you know, I am, you may be also, amen? That's new Jerusalem, which he's going to create, amen? You think you'd have to, you know, and King James says, I go to prepare, you know, in my house, in my father's house, there are many mansions, amen? In the, in the Greek, it just simply means dwelling place. If I could tell you right now, any mansion that any celebrity lives in this day or billionaire lives in to this day is going to be nothing compared to your home in heaven. You're never going to say, I think I like their home better. No, you won't say that. You'll be like, I can't believe my home. But one thing I know, you won't have to lock your doors. You won't have to lock your doors in heaven. Amen? Amen. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to worry about a prosecutor that's been appointed by George Soros that's easy on crime and just lets the killers go out like it's nothing, running the streets. Amen? Well, the perfect judge. Amen, Jimmy. That's the other big Jim, by the way. Okay. <laughs> but according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, therefore, beloved, in light of the fact that this is coming, the blessed hope, since you look for these things, be, look at this, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. How do you apply it to your life? Simple. Make sure you're at peace with Jesus. Amen. Make sure you're not in rebellion to God. How can I be spotless and blameless? Well, when we have our hope fixed on him, the Bible says he that is looking for his coming purifies himself even as he is pure. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, 
Listen to this. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, I read this. And so many times, listen, so many times when the Bible talks about Christ's second coming, it gives incentives in light of his coming to live a holy life, to make sure you're living for Jesus, amen? To make sure you're not in rebellion to God, amen? 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 says this. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. We mean, we don't, it's going to be so amazing when we get resurrected. We don't know exactly what it's going to be. We know we're going to be like Jesus. Amen? Listen to this. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now keep in mind, this is the same John that fell down on his face at the Isle of Patmos because he wrote the book of Revelation when Jesus appeared to him and his face shined like the sun. That that is the face of Jesus. His eyes were like flames of fire. Amen. He fell down and John put his hand on him and said, fear not, I'm the first and last. I'm he that liveth and was dead and behold my life forevermore and have the keys of death and Hades. And John was like freaked out. Well, John says, guess what? We're going to be like him. We're going to shine in the body. Jesus said we're like the sun shining in glory forever. So we'll be made like him. Daniel 12 says that those who have insight and lead others to righteousness will shine like the stars in the firmament forever. Now listen to what verse 3 says. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So if you're putting your hope in Jesus, man, you're going to want to be right because he's the bridegroom. We're the bride of Christ, the Bible says. Amen. It uses that metaphor. And what does a bride do with her dress if it's got stains all over it before the wedding? A week before, she's like, whoa, how did this happen? Your, your younger sister borrowed it and played dress up. And it was way too big with her. She was only seven years old, but she tried to put all kinds of makeup on. It's a mess. You have no time to get it. What are you going to do? You're going to purify that dress, amen? You're going to wash it. You're going to scrub it. You're going to find and try not to wring your sister's neck, right? Lord, have, you know, have mercy. Oh, my wedding, it's just a day away. Guess what? When you're looking forward to see the ultimate bridegroom, how much more do you want to make sure you're pure? Amen? Amen? Well, how do you get pure? 1 John chapter 1, the same book, verse 7. Well, I'll start at verse 5. This is a message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. That's right. So if you're living a life of wickedness and darkness, you claim to be a Christian, you need to repent and get right. Amen? However, but, a contrast, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have what? Fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, what? Cleanses us from all sin. Well, wait a minute. I'm not walking late. How do I walk in light? You repent, amen. You turn from your rebellion to God in your heart. And you turn to Jesus and put your faith in him, amen. And when you have repentant faith, 1 John 1, 9, two verses later, if we confess our sins, the Greek word for confess, and it's written in Greek, the New Testament, is homo legeo. Homo means same like homosexual, like same sex. But homo legeo, legeo means to speak. Homo legato means to speak the same thing as God's sake. So when God says, hey, you've fallen short of my glory, you've been in rebellion to me, you don't say, nah, I'm good. You say, oh, I'm in trouble. I'm a sinner. So if we confess homo legato, our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He purifies us by his blood. You don't say, I'm going to make myself so clean on my own 
So God will accept me. That'll never happen. You come to Christ. You ask for forgiveness. Amen. Then you continue to walk in the light. That means if you get sisters, say you cleaned your dress. You're like, wow, it's immaculate. Praise God. I'm ready for my wedding. It's just tomorrow. Just in the nick of time. And then all of a sudden, you're like showing it to somebody. And somebody's like, oh, that's nice. Your friend. Oh, she accidentally throws some grape juice on your dress. I'm so sorry. What do you do? You clean it again. How do you clean it? You need really good detergent. Well, we have the best detergent on the planet, the blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. Because no detergent will take, the, take away our sins but the blood of Christ. Amen. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. And just, does, but he can get out a lot of stains, but I've got certain stains. I, I, I don't know if he can get them out. Really? That's not what he says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, just forgives our sins and cleanses us from all, all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen? Can I hear hallelujah, amen, praise God, or something like that? Amen. Praise God. We have the, the, the blood of Christ, man, to cleanse us. Now, obviously, obviously we need to have hearts for God, amen? We have to want to live for the Lord. And we have to have repentant hearts, amen? And we can't be in rebellion to him. So he talked about holy conduct. That also speaks of our lifestyles. The Bible says faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead, amen? So as we seek Jesus in faith, we're saved by his grace alone, through faith alone. But as we trust in him, what happens? We have good works and holy conduct as an outgrowth of our faith in him. Because Galatians 5, 6 says, faith works through love. So if we're truly in the faith, there'll be evidence of that faith. Amen? Listen to what Paul writes in Romans. You can turn there if you want. Romans 13, verse 11. Regarding Christ's coming, and I'm telling you right now, this is one thing that blew me away as a new Christian so many years ago. I was tripping out like, wow, so many references to his coming. It was a hope of the early church. And so many of these references give us incentive through his coming and warnings to live a holy and righteous life over and over and over again. I was blown away. I'm like, wow, Lord. That's why we call it Blessed Hope Chapel, because we need to be ex excited about him, his coming and purify ourselves as he appears and get ready for the coming of our Lord. But I tell you, the new thing that the Lord showed me, I'm like, wow, I've been a Christian this many years, and he got me more excited because I'm always looking at the coming in the perspective of from this planet, when he comes back, being excited about but thinking, man, I might die before it happens. I hope not, but we'll see what happens. But, if it, but hope so, maybe, because he wants to win more souls. It's up to you, God. But I realized, wait a minute, man. I need to look at it from the perspective of heaven again, and it's like, wow, I'm going to have the Blessed Hope more than ever after I die if I miss his coming. Not miss his coming because he came and I missed it, but because he didn't come yet, right? Well, look at what Paul says, the incentive he gives in Romans 13 verse 11. And do this, understanding that the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Quit sleeping. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside. Our salvation is nearer than we first believed, meaning Jesus is coming. Okay, our final salvation. We always talk about salvation, I've been saved. But the Bible uses salvation as past, present, and future. We have been saved, amen? If we die today, we're going to be right with the Lord, absent from the body, be present with the Lord, amen? But the Bible says we're also being saved, amen? amen. But guess what? One-third of our salvation hasn't happened yet. We're two-thirds saved. Because the Bible talks about our final salvation. Jesus says, he that endures to the end will be saved, Amen. Paul says our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. He's talking about our final salvation. Amen? The night is nearly over. That's the night of this world, the evil darkness. The day is almost here because Jesus is a day star. Amen? And he's coming back. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. In light of that fact, apply this to your life. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the what? Armor of light. 
Put on the, take off the cruddy clothes, spiritually speaking, and put on Christ's clothes. Let us behave decently. Well, what does that mean to put off the bad clothes, put on the good clothes? Let us behave decently. That's what it means. As in the daytime, not in carousing, which means partying. It means partying in the evil way. And drunkenness. Don't be getting drunk. Oh, and make sure, because I think there's a lot of believers that are getting drunk and they just don't want to admit it. I just drink a little bit. Well, if you drink a little bit, that's not unbiblical, unless you're getting drunk. But if you're getting drunk, a little bit drunk, that's still drunk. Don't let that happen. Get it, purify yourselves as he is pure, amen? amen. Why well, just smoke a few hits? Because I love the flavor of pot. <laughs> really? You love the flavor of pot? I think it's more than just a flavor then maybe. No, but I do love the flavor of wine. I'm not getting drunk. Praise God, I'm not talking to you. No big deal. Just be careful, amen? Verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in partying or carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality. That's a big one. Many people get stuck in that. You got to repent and get right with Jesus. And debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Don't be involved in fighting with people and angry and upset and hurting people and jealousy, jealous of people. Put that away. That's not from God. Rather what? Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't think about, how can I fulfill this? How can I, and all your desires. Deny yourself, follow Jesus, amen? Get busy for him, be a witness, amen? Then you'll really enjoy life because if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he'll add all your needs to you and you'll have fullness of joy in the fruit of the spirit, amen? amen. Listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter two, verse 11. This is the verse, these are the verses we get the name of our fellowship from. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Amen? Everyone. God wants all to be saved. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live, self, and live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? So as we look forward to him, man, we say no to the wicked of the world because I want to be with Jesus forever. I want to be with my Jesus, amen? While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Wow, that's awesome. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 9. I wish I'd go to 4.13. I wish I had time to go from 4.13 through 18 about the rapture when he comes back as he catches up and how he's going to destroy the wicked in chapter 5 and so forth. But I want to go to 1 Thessalonians 5, though, 1. We'll start verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and the dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Remember Peter said everything will be melted? That's not a preacher rapture, by the way, is it? No, it's a meltdown, man. While people are saying peace and safety, because the world under the Antichrist could say, who can make war with this Antichrist? Who can make war with him? Peace and security. Look, you know, no, man, you're in trouble. The world will come together, killing Christians, saying peace and safety, new world order. People will be saying peace and safety. Destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And all of a sudden, boom, boom, man, and they will not escape. But you, brothers... But you, because we will escape, how? But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. 
We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. What does it mean to be awake and sober? He goes on to say, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith. See, it's putting on like taking off old clothes, hatred, lust, anger, malice, drunkenness, all that stuff. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith. This is what we put on though. Put on faith, man. Put your trust in the Lord. And love as a breastplate. Wow. And the hope of salvation as a what? A helmet. Amen? Amen. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. For God did not appoint us to suffer what? Wrath, but salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So guess what? Even as he protected the Israelites in the land of Goshen, when the 10 plagues were falling down, like just one plague after another, as God was judging the demon gods of, the, of Egypt, Pharaoh was a picture of the Antichrist, right? The false prophets were like the Jannies and Jambres, the magicians trying to mimic God's miracles. And God's plagues are happening, so they recognize these are false gods, don't trust them. Even Egyptians, some of the Egyptians would get saved. And he showed who the one true God is. Well, guess what? God's people, the Jews, didn't suffer from those plagues in the land of Goshen. When the whole kingdom of Antichrist was dark, it says, guess what? It was light in the land of Goshen. We're not appointed to God's wrath, amen? He'll spare us those plagues. In fact, in chapter 24, 25 of Isaiah, it says, when my indignation comes, it'll pass over you, just like the Passover. Remember the death angel and the 10th plague passed over the houses that had the blood that was in the outline of the cross of the blood of the lamb that pointed to the lamb of Jesus, the lamb of the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, really powerful, powerful stuff. It's awesome, guys. We have this incredible Blessed hope. You know, look up there. You can read it together. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God. I love these verses because it doesn't just speak of his coming, his blessed, he's, he's our blessed hope, but it also says of Jesus, who is he? It says he's going to appear. The appearing of our great, who? God. Jesus is God. Yeah, I've drove witnesses, Mormons, others that come in here, they look at, they're like, wow, did they get that right? It says Jesus is God up there. Yeah, that's right. It says it all over the place. He's our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people zealous for good deeds. Amen? That's who we're looking for. And you know what? I have so many wonderful things I want to share with you. And I thought, Lord, I only have 13 pages. This is one of my shorter messages. And I'm like, guy, just not even halfway through it. But I'll tell you what, so are you excited about his coming? Hallelujah. Excited enough to want to hear another teaching on it? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I got I to end this way, though. I got to end with this because I was praying about this, and I was praying the Lord to show me contrast between his first coming and his second coming. And uh, I'm like watching my kids, you know, grandkids, play uh, football and soccer on the weekend and bring a little notepad or a little piece of paper and a pen you know, and because sometimes you got three games, you know, and I text, I got to get my texting done and then watch at the same time. So when they come out, sometimes I'll, you know, and sometimes when they're in, I'm like, I just got to look up, you know, but uh, my, that's my life. It's been my life. I never have, a, I never really have a day off, but I praise God because it's a joy serving the Lord. Amen. 
But I was like, Lord, show me, make me, help me think of just wonderful contrast between the first and second coming. And uh, I want to share some of those that I wrote down. Most of these I wrote down right there is, think about this, man. This is so powerful. It's so beautiful uh, that, in fact, the one I'll start with is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. It says, it's appointed a man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. It says, in regard to his first coming, he appeared the first time, it says, in reference to our sin, amen? That was to die for our sins and, 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 and pay for them so we could be saved, amen? But it goes on to say he'll return a second time, not a second and then a third time, by the way. It says he'll return a second time, not a reference to sin, guys, but a reference to our salvation because that's our final salvation. Remember I said we're like two-thirds saved? I'm not saying it's exactly that fraction, two-thirds, but you know what I'm saying. We've been saved, we're being saved, and we shall finally be saved. And I just sat, it's funny, I just sat with a couple, a beautiful couple, uh, that we had a great time marriage counseling a couple years ago, and their marriage was just falling apart, it looked like, and my heart was breaking for them. And, and I, I saw them again just recently, and, uh, and they just saying, hey, this is like an anniversary. We just, I just got together with them, and they said, our marriage since that time we got together for counseling makes me want to cry. They go, it's been so beautiful, you know? And he goes, you mentioned me in the message. Uh, I'm not saying who it is. It's neat, really neat, super neat people, though. And he says, you mentioned me in the message right after the counseling. You didn't say my name then, but you, but you, you said, you, you talked about a man who didn't know how to love his wife. And he goes, that was me. And he goes, but praise God. And he was a teary, you know, throughout our, they never talk, especially when we're talking about different things. And, and she was, and I just said, praise God, man. Because I'm like, wow, they're applying the word of God to their lives, amen. And that's what God wants us to do. And I'm just, it's just amazing. But he's the one, he said to me, I remember, was it you? He goes, you, you talked about how we're like two-thirds saved. And that's why that was back in my mind with this message. It's like, we're waiting for our final salvation. So he says, it's a point of man wants to die, but after this is judgment, Amen. But he, referred, he came the first time, it says a reference to our sin, but the second time a reference to our salvation. See, we have been justified, made right with God already, amen? And we're ju the just by, shall live by faith. We're just by living through faith in Christ, amen? And we're being sanctified. That means we're set apart from that which is what? Evil, amen? And we're continually to be sanctified. But in the future, when Jesus comes back, we will be what? Glorified. We'll be glorified. Amen? That means we'll have new bodies. It says, you know, where is your sting? Death. That we'll have glorified, incorruptible, imperishable bodies that won't grow old. Amen? That'll look like Jesus to some degree. To a great degree, we'll look like him. Amen? Amen. How heavy, how beautiful, how wonderful is that? Now, it's interesting. Here's some of those contrasts. Jesus, when he came the first time, came riding on a donkey. The second time, because he came in humility, amen. The second time he comes, he's coming on a what? He's coming on a white horse, man. Amen. The first time he came, he came and they put upon him a crown of thorns as he bore the curse on the cross for us, amen. The second time in Revelation chapter 19, it says he's coming with many diadema, diadems, royal crowns, amen. Praise God. Can I hear an amen to that? First time he came meek and lowly. The second time, he's coming in power and glory. Amen? Amen. The first time, he came as the lamb, the Passover lamb. The second time he comes, he's coming as a lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? Amen. Praise God. The first time he came, he melted the hearts of men and women. Amen? With his great love, his sacrifice, 
And he's been doing that ever since, amen? The second time he comes, he's gonna melt the Antichrist. He says he'll destroy him with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming because he's a consuming fire, amen? amen? Wow, powerful. First time he came quietly, amen? amen? Second time he comes, he's coming with a great trumpet of the archangel, the trump of God. It's going to be loud! We're all gonna hear it. It's loud enough to wake up the dead in Christ, amen? We're looking forward to that coming, amen? The first time he came when he was born, few people saw him. The second time he comes, every eye shall see him. Revelation 1, 7 says, Behold, he cometh with the clouds. Every eye shall see him, and they which pierce, also which pierce him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen, amen? The first time he came, it wasn't super visible to everybody. Second time it says he'll come like lightning shining from the east to the west, amen? The first time he came, he came to deal and save men from sin, amen? He came to destroy sin in repentant man, amen? The second time he comes, he'll come to destroy man in unrepentant sin, amen? The first time he came, they cried out, crucify him, and they crucified our Lord. Second time he came, his enemies, everyone, every knee will bow. And every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. So praise the Lord. Is anybody excited about his coming? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord Jesus Christ. It says every knee will bow and every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And the Bible says for us as believers, if we walk in that excitement, we can approach life and live life victoriously. Why? Oh, I'm so glad you guys are excited. I was like, Lord, please help them get excited. I'm excited. And you want us all to be excited? Help me to get more excited. Help us all to get more excited about Christ's coming. I just think it's amazing because remember, Luke 21, people see things that are going on the earth and things are going, man, we are in the end times, dude. Crazy things are happening. And it says, the hearts of many will fail them for fear of things that are coming on the earth. But what does it tell us to do in light of those things that are happening? How do we apply that to our lives? The crazy things that are happening. When you see these things, he says, look up for your redemption. What does rapid redemption mean? Salvation. Redemption is drawing near our final salvation. Part three, we're two-thirds saved. When you see these things happening, don't let your heart fail. Like, I can't believe what's going on. No, cast your cares on the Lord, guys. He cares for you, it says. Amen. Don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, with, with prayer and thanksgiving, amen, amen. and supplications. Make a request known to God. Pray to him and seek him. But when you see these things taking place, look up for your redemption is drawing nigh. That means his coming is drawing nigh, amen. And it may happen in our lifetimes, amen. You'll be like, Joe, looks like it's happening really soon. The Antichrist is reigning. We're hiding. We don't want to take the mark of the beast. I'll say, well, praise God. That means he's coming real soon. That's right. You know, ah, you can kind of be betwixt between two feelings. Like, oh no, but just hold on, man, because our lives are vapors. Don't give in. Oh, maybe I'll take the mark of the beast so I can buy yourself. Your life is a vapor. Don't. Fear the Lord. Love him. Hold tight to him. Amen. And keep in mind, lift up your heads. His redemption is drawing near. Amen. We're all going to die someday anyway. Amen. To be absent body's present with the Lord. So hold on. Whether he comes or you get killed before he comes, or you just die of natural cause before he comes, or you get in some car accident. The main key today 
as well, make sure you know Jesus. Amen? Amen. Make sure you are saved. Make sure you're putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you've been purified by his precious blood. For he that has this hope of his return purifies himself even as he is pure. Amen? Can we all please stand as they pass out the cup and the bread?